Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. How's it going? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Was that Bethany? Nice. Appreciate it. <clears throat> All right. There's a few things that we want to do as we kind of unpack uh, the Bible a little bit today, unpack the story of Paul a little bit today. And so there's a few different things in the next few minutes that we want to try and bring uh, all together as we talk through a bit more of the life of Paul. See, we've called this series Resilience because we want to take some time uh, as we go into the new year to actually talk about what it looks like to set good goals for ourselves. What does it actually look like to have a healthy perspective on how we're going to tackle a new year, head into a a new kind of time frame and season of life, uh, and make decisions around where we're going uh, and who we're becoming? You know, I think that it's like a really cool thing at the beginning of the year that we have this time and we have this opportunity where so many of us are considering these big questions of life. We're considering who am I? What's my purpose? Who am I becoming? Who do I want to be? How many pounds do I want to try and lose this year? How many Bible reading plans am I going to try and fail at? Uh, how, how much money do I want to make? What kind of car do I want to have? How do I want to structure my savings and my investments? Am I going to follow uh, Dave Ramsey? Or am I going to use this budgeting app? Am I going to do this or am I going to do that? And we're, so many of us are processing through and we're thinking about these types of things. We're making these honestly big foundational decisions about who we are and where we're headed. And so we want to take some time with this series at the beginning of the year to do a couple things, to both uh, actually address some of like, hey, what does it actually look like to build our lives in a resilient way? What does it actually look like to approach a new year, to make decisions about who we are, who we're becoming, and what we're doing in a way that is actually faithful to scripture, is faithful to God's call on each of our lives and who he has created us to be, uh, and at the same time uh, uh, is actually, uh, uh, um, uh, actually going to prepare us and strengthen us and get us into a healthy place to actually have the resilience to be able to make it through a chaotic and stressful world. We're living in a time where we have a recession on the horizon. We're living in a time where we're seeing wars at a scale that we haven't seen in a little while. We're living in a time where, where we've had all this stability for decades, and we're starting to see some of that stability in our world crumble a little bit. And I think even for us as Christians who have a bigger hope, who have a bigger faith, who have a trust in Jesus, it can be a little bit terrifying and scary and concerning looking out at the world around us. So we're asking these questions saying, hey, as we kind of look personally and prepare ourselves and look at how we want to be living our lives and we look at the context of what's happening in the world around us, how do we actually do this in a faithful way that prepares us for what is ahead? At the same time, we also want to look at the life of this guy named Paul. 
Paul was this apostle and, and one of the founding people of the early church, this person that God used to actually carry the message of Jesus out to all of the nations. See, it says, uh, Jesus gives this great commission, and he says that his, uh, uh, the story of what he's done and the good news of the transforming power of his death and his resurrection is going to go from Jerusalem out to the ends of the earth. And then we get this narrative of Paul, who is this apostle and leader who is primarily responsible for that initial spark of bringing it out beyond the context of just the Jewish people and the Jewish culture out into the world around. And I think another cool thing we get to do with this series is give ourselves an overview of who Paul was. This really key figure who wrote like over half of the New Testament for us to actually understand. It's like, okay, who was this guy? What did his life look like? What did he actually do? And we kind of get to bring all of this stuff together. And so today what I want to do is I want to reflect a little bit on this idea of who we're becoming and how our habits define us. I want to take some time and actually give an overview of Paul's ministry. Last week, if you missed it, Pastor Emma went through and she kind of explained like Paul's early life and his conversion. The fact that this person that God uses to build so much of his church was a guy who originally started out persecuting Christians, watching them be killed, responsible for them being thrown in prison, actually fighting against this Jesus movement early on before Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, transforms his life, turns him around, changes his name from Saul to Paul, and sets him on this path of actually sharing the good news of the Lord. And so this is Paul's story. Pastor, I explained a bunch of that last week and all, like a little bit of what his early upbringing and his life would have looked like. And this week, I want to give us a bit of an overview of his actual ministry. Like we talked last week about this waiting season he had before he actually started into his ministry and the stuff that we see in scripture. And, and we're kind of asking the question, okay, what did that actually look like? And then I want to go and I want to unpack really specifically his time in a place called Ephesus. He was there a couple times, but we have this one snippet of the, some time that he spent in a place called Ephesus uh, in the book of Acts that I want to dive into specifically uh, and see what we can pull out of that today. Before I go any further, I just want to pray. God, I just thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in your house today. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you did die for us, Lord. That you sacrificed yourself and you returned from the dead, dead, defeating death, Lord God. Jesus, I just thank you that you have equipped us and empowered us by your spirit. And I pray that as we gather together here this morning, Lord God, you would just be doing something profound in the hearts and minds of each of us. Lord, I pray that these would not be my words, but yours, and that you would be shaping us and transforming us from the inside out as we gather today. In your name, amen. You know, when we look at our, our new year and our new habits, I, I think sometimes we miss out on the fact that like uh, our habits are really defining who we are becoming. I've been getting like really obsessive about habits lately. Um, and have started like reading a bunch of audiobooks on habits. And one thing that I keep seeing come up over and over and over again uh, in all these like content and work around like what are our habits? What are the stuff that we're doing? How do we get rid of bad habits? How do we start new habits? Is that so much of it comes down to this core idea of what's actually happening at the basis behind all of our actions and the things we're actually doing is it's really about who we are as a person. Who are we becoming? Am I the type of person who prioritizes working out? Am I the type of person who's gonna go to the gym in a snowstorm? 
am I the type of person who's going to wake up and read my Bible every morning? And when we begin to internalize it, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a person who spends time with Jesus every day to start my day because that's my foundation. Like when we start to personalize it and internalize it, and that is the person that we are, it becomes part of our identity and who we are. That's when a habit is like truly ingrained in us. And so our habits, well, often we think about these things as just the stuff we want to do. Hey, these are my financial goals for this year. Here's the stuff that I want to get this year. Here's the things I want to accomplish this year. Here's the the habits I want to start this year. What we're actually talking about when we look forward and we plan and prepare and make these decisions is who we are becoming. I feel like a great example of who we're becoming and like a milestone in this for myself is when it comes to the concept of a little something sweet. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say like a little something sweet? No, no, nobody. Okay. I feel like this honestly wasn't even that big of a thing in my household growing up. Like we would eat a meal, we would eat dinner, whatever. And it would just be like, we just ate dinner. It was good. Maybe if company came over, we'd have some pie. If it was like a holiday or something, we'd have a little treat. Uh, but my wife, Emily, she came from a little something sweet household, which is like after every meal, after every dinner, it's like, well, it's not complete until you've had a little something sweet. Uh, and I feel like this kind of toxic ideology started to infiltrate our marriage. And, and over time, like I'm like getting up after every meal. I'm like, we're doing all this meal prep. We're trying to be healthy. We're preparing all this stuff. We're like not even keeping snacks in the house. And like I finish like my rice and bland chicken and broccoli or whatever it is. And I get up and I'm just like, maybe let's like pop a couple of chocolate chips in my mouth just to get a little something sweet. It's like we don't even have treats in the house. So I'm pulling from the baking supplies at that point. And it's just so ingrained, and it starts to like seep into our marriage, seeping into my life. I can't go without a little something sweet. We're having like French toast for breakfast. It's already sweet. Finish it off. It's like, I just need a little something sweet. Uh, And it's fully like taken over. And I remember it was such a big milestone for me in trying to eat a little bit healthier when we went to her parents' house one night for dinner, and we're eating dinner, and they pull out the pie afterwards. And I was like, no, I'm not the kind of person who needs a little something sweet. But seriously, I believe that, that our habits and our goals and our objectives in our lives are really about defining the kind of people that we want to be, who we are becoming, the trajectory and direction of our very personhood. And if we begin to understand that this is even what secular uh, thinkers are saying about our habits, this isn't uh, even just like from scripture or from the Bible or something like that, but when we realize that when even secular thinkers and psychologists are saying, hey, our habits define us, our actions define us, they say who we are becoming, they shape our identity and who we believe ourselves to be, we need to begin to take this stuff pretty seriously. We can't be going into another year just setting goals around our financial success because we just want to make a little more money. We can't be going into another year setting goals around our health and our fitness because we just want to look a little bit better. We can't be going into another year setting all these goals that are based on things that are not of God, that are not why he created us, that are not his reason for placing us here on earth because they are actually going to define who we become and who we become is a serious deal. See, as Christians, we believe that God created the entire universe. He made everything. And if God made everything and he made us, then he is the one, logically, who defines our purpose. He defines who we are and who we're meant to be and what we are meant to live for. And so if we are going into a new year, if we're going into a new week, a new day, either directionless 
or with sets of goals and ideas and habits and thoughts that aren't based in who he is calling us to be, but who our world says we should be, what our culture says we should be, what our innate desires and our, and our lust and our sinfulness and our greed says we should be becoming, then we're going to get off the wrong track and we're going to end up broken and disillusioned and disenfranchised because we are not living out who we were meant to be. And so today, I want to break down this passage, Acts 19, 1 to 10. I just want to read it out right now. I'm going to give us a bit of a context of Paul's ministry, then we're going to dive back into it. It says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greek. All right, so what's happening here? Where are we at? This is a, a specific moment in Paul's ministry as he's spending some time in a place called Ephesus. And I want to just start by giving us the bigger picture and context of what Paul was up to around this time. Do we have that map that we can toss up here? That's cool. I like that. There we go. Cool. Thank you, guys. All right. So this is like... I just look at this and just like, so just so you guys know, like over here where it's like Palestine, Jerusalem, Judea, that's like, like Israel and like modern day Syria over there. And then you kind of go up uh, and, and you see where he's kind of going in here and you get into like a bunch of that is Turkey now. And then you get into Greece over here, you get into, uh, uh, you get into Rome and, and all this kind of stuff and Italy way over there. So you have this whole thing here and you can think about just like how large this is if you put that in the context of our modern maps and I just look at this I'm like man Paul never had a problem hitting his step goal but we look at this and what we see is that Paul actually had this call from God to begin to minister to the Gentiles to the non-Jewish people, if we remember, as Pastor Emma was talking about, the, the faith of following Jesus wasn't even seen as like a separate religion at first. It was just Jewish people saying, hey, this is the completion of our faith. Like, we have been observant Jews. We would still see ourselves that way. And the completion of our Jewish faith is found in Jesus, and it's transforming what, who we are and what we believe. It was seen as, as this completion of it, this, uh, rather than, like, just this completely separate thing. And so it started within these Jewish communities within Jerusalem, but we see Paul is used by God to actually begin to spread this out across the world. And so what happens is Paul goes on these three main trips, and you can see it kind of broken down purple for the first journey yellow for the second and green for the third 
where Paul is actually going and he's beginning to travel and use the newly created road systems and using uh, 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 sailing on ships at times and beginning to go all over uh, uh, what was like kind of their known world really at this time uh, and beginning to share the good news of Jesus and minister to people. And I think we can look at this, a few things we can note about it is that he actually spent real significant chunks of time in a lot of these places. He would set up in a major center or a major city, and he would begin to disciple people and teach in the synagogue, and he'd often be beat up and, and, and thrown out, and he would go back again, and he would keep teaching, he'd get lashed and beat, and then he'd go back, and he'd keep teaching, keep sharing the good news of Jesus, and he'd first go to the Jewish people in that place and start to show how it actually completed their faith and what they believed, and then he would go, and he would start sharing this and teaching it to the, to the Gentiles and to the other people uh, uh, who weren't a part of the Jewish faith in that region, and then as he made disciples in a bigger city, he would send people out to these smaller towns and make sure that this word was spread all over the place. And so we see he's getting his steps in, he's moving around, he's going to all these different places. And so he has his first journey. It's a little bit uh, uh, shorter on the first journey. He goes around, he does this, and then he actually goes back to Jerusalem and he brings with him this offering to say like, hey, like, 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 we want to make sure that we're supporting the church in Jerusalem where there's a lot of poverty, but where this thing started. So he gets all these new churches to fundraise, and they support the church in Jerusalem. And then he goes back out, and he goes on his second journey. And he goes a little bit further, and he reaches more places, and he's planting new churches and reaching new communities. And then we see he goes back to Jerusalem again because there's been some conflict. And some of the people in Jerusalem are like, Paul, like, we're not totally sure about how you're teaching this stuff. And, and there's all these people with this different culture and this different context doing different things and living out this faith in slightly different ways that you're welcoming in. Like, is this legitimate? And they, he goes back and they clear it up and they work through it. And then he goes back out on his third journey and he comes back to Jerusalem. And finally, uh, he's actually arrested. And then he's taken, as we can see on the red line, uh, after his arrest all the way to Rome, uh, where the story gets a little bit murkier. Um, likely, he was freed uh, after he got to Rome and then was re-imprisoned and executed there a little, bit a little while later. And so what we see is that Paul has these three main missionary trips focused on expanding the gospel and sharing it out in all these different places. And it's really interesting to see the way that he used the modern technology of that time, the road systems to actually spread this message. It's interesting to see as we look through and we read all these letters that he wrote in the New Testament, and we can actually understand like, oh, hey, okay, so these are letters that he's writing to churches that he had planted. Churches that he had usually visited before, spent some time in, or had sent disciples to, where the gospel had been shared. He had started these churches, and he's writing to them, and he's encouraging them, and he's challenging them, and he's convicting them. And there's a few things we can see about Paul's ministry from all of this context that we have in the Bible. The first is that Paul is one of the greatest philosophers of all time. Like, this guy is actually, like, able to, to work on so many levels. To the Jewish people, he's unpacking the scriptures, and he's explaining how all of it leads to Jesus. And then we have this great example of him going before uh, uh, the, the secular courts of that day who would have been processing all of these great philosophers and these different ideas about what it means to be in the world. And he starts to begin to use their language and their concepts and their ideas, and he points it all back to how Jesus is actually the completion of all philosophy and not just all religion. 
He was one of the greatest philosophers of all time, but I think sometimes we can look at the words of Paul, and we can look at the New Testament, and we can just start to narrow it down and be like, okay, like, it's just like some great philosophy, or it's this great teaching, or it's really dense. But we have to understand that Paul also did ministry in a very pastoral, relational, and emotional way. I think we lose some of Paul's words and, and understanding of the context of what he's talking about when we see it as a philosophy textbook. That's not what it was. See, Paul was journeying around. He's going to all these places, and he's not just, like, going there, but he's actually going and, like, living with these people. He was often working as a tent maker, making his own money to support his ministry wherever he found himself. He's spending time living alongside people for literally years at times, rubbing shoulders with them, hanging out with them, eating with them, teaching them, being, like, there when their kids are born and their parents die, loving them and in deep relationship with them. And you see that come out in his letters. You see in one of his letters to the Corinthians how frustrated he is because he had started this church. He had spent time with this community. And then they tell him, hey, you know what? We're not so sure about you, Paul. We might need to actually see your resume and have you like, share a couple of references next time you come by. Or we don't know if we're going to welcome you back here. It's like imagine the hurt that that would cause and the pain inside of him. And we see this frustration, this healthy, righteous anger and frustration come out in his letter to the Corinthians as he reprimands them for the way that they're approaching him. And we see that Paul pastored a lot of imperfect churches. So many of the churches that he planted were full of like people sleeping around and sexual immorality. It was uh, a kind of attacked on both sides. It was people who were, who were caught up in the ways of the world, lost in greed and lust and all these different things. And at the same time, there was people who were caught up in religiosity and, and people who had come from the Jewish faith who were trying to hold on to too much of their tradition and their practices that he had to push against. We see him uh, uh, facing pressure on all sides, being beaten by the religious leaders, being uh, suspect, suspected by the Roman leaders, seeing him actually having to fight these battles with the churches that he had planted and launched, trying to draw them and point them back towards Jesus, and at the same time, having to fight these battles with Jerusalem and, and some of the, the Jewish leaders there where they weren't understanding his ministry, and he's having to explain himself and explain this context. And so what we see in the work of Paul is a philosophy and a theology and a teaching that is deeply rooted in real life, that is deeply rooted in the, these journeys that he went on and the pastoral experiences that he faced. And we're going to talk a little bit more next week about the abuse and the trials and the challenges that he faced. But I want to get back to this passage in Acts. So in the midst of Paul's ministry, in the midst of one of his missionary trips, he spends these couple years in Ephesus. It was this epicenter city where he started to do ministry and we begin to see uh, uh, the news of Jesus spread out from his time there. And I want to take a look at it and dive a little bit uh, uh, deeper on it today because I think it's a great microcosm of what Paul's ministry actually looked like, how he actually spread the good news of Jesus, these kind of cycles of like, like opposition uh, mixed with uh, 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 opposition mixed with overcoming, opposition mixed with overcoming, the challenges that he faced, and also a great example of what happens when the news of Jesus takes hold. What happens when, when, when people actually start to, like, understand who Jesus is and what he did for them? What happens when, 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 when like, the, the underlying principles uh, uh, and filters of our world actually change and how that can inspire us to live our lives? 
So in this story that we have here of his time in Ephesus, we see um, that, that, that Paul shows up. And says, there he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him. That is Jesus. Let's unpack what's happening here. See, Paul shows up to Ephesus, and he meets these men, and, and, and he asks them, like, hey, your disciples, you're talking about this way of Jesus, kind of similar to us, but, but there's something a little bit off. And he asks, like, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they're like, no, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And what had happened is that uh, uh, John who is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, the one who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, his message had reached these people. His message of saying, hey, the, the chosen one, the Savior, the Messiah, he's coming. He's on his way. That had reached the people, uh, 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 and, and they were told, like, hey, you need to be baptized and repent of your sins. You need to be baptized and actually acknowledge the brokenness in your own life. You need to acknowledge the brokenness in your culture. You need to acknowledge the brokenness in your religiosity. You need to acknowledge the brokenness in the world around you. You need to begin to actually see this and understand it and repent of it and pray for uh, the forgiveness of sins uh, uh, from, from these things. And they had received that. But they hadn't actually heard the good news that Jesus had come. And so what we see is that they've received this baptism of repentance, but they knew that Jesus was to come, but they didn't know what Jesus had done. And so it says, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesying. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. See, the first thing we can understand from this is that repentance paves the way. Repentance paves the way. See, the way to eternal life with Jesus, it's actually like having a long-lasting and existing relationship with him, to being uh, uh, one of his chosen people, a part of his family. The way to, to actually like living out our life for Jesus is paved with repentance. John the Baptist, the one sent to pave the way for Jesus, did it with a baptism and a message of repentance. So what is repentance? It can be summarized as a willingness to critique ourselves, our culture, and our assumptions. You know, I think a lot of times we think of repentance in the church as just like, okay, if I've done something really, really bad, it's just me like kind of feeling guilty for it. I don't think we have like a great framework and a great understanding of what like, what does repentance truly mean? And it's not guilt. It's something more beautiful and deeper than guilt. It's like a, it's like a deep understanding, a willingness to actually look and see the dark side of ourselves, to look at our actions and our lives, look at the things that we're putting up on pedestals, our goals, and the things that we're chasing after, and to actually acknowledge and say, like, hey, I see where this is messed up. Hey, I, you know, I actually see why blowing up on my spouse in that situation was just so harmful and damaging to them. Hey, I can actually see how I'm bringing way too much greed into how I'm interacting with my coworkers and my boss. 
hey, hey, I can actually begin to see, I can begin to picture, and I can begin to understand, and I can begin to wrestle with the lust that's living in my heart that I just haven't been able to figure out yet. I think so often it's easy to just like consume content and consume media and watch Netflix and listen to podcasts and, and, and busy ourselves with so many things of this world and, and consume so many things that distract us uh, uh, and keep us satiated that it's hard to actually find space and time to see with the clarity that repentance provides, to look at ourselves to look at our situations, to look at the things that are frustrating us in our lives, to look at the relationships that are challenging in our lives, and to acknowledge that, hey, I probably have a part to play in this. But we see when it comes to this, this repentance in the Bible as that it's not just a purely personal repentance. You know, we live in such an individualistic and, and personal society where, where so many of us are like, it's just like all about me and what I do and my journey and my faith. And it's this deeply personal thing. Yeah, that's not the context we have in scripture with faith was so much more intertwined with community and with our and with culture and with the society around someone. And we see that when John comes in and when Jesus comes in, they're critiquing the hearts of individuals, but they're critiquing it in the context of a community. And we need to also be willing to look at our culture, to look at the values of the world that we find ourselves in to look at the assumptions that we make and we bring into scripture and how we're living our lives and say, hey, I'm going to repent of this too. I'm going to repent of the way that my world is influencing me and I'm choosing to be influenced by that more than God. You know, I also think it's easy to critique the lies of our world that we find the most like frustrating or annoying or that we disagree with. It's like, yeah, you know, if I'm a little bit more conservative, then there's certain lies uh, uh, in our world and, and, and things in our world that it's like, you know what, yeah, that's like pretty easy for me to fight against. Uh, that's pretty easy for me to push. And if I'm a little more left-leaning, then, you know, there's some other things in our world and some other ideas that it's like, yeah, you know what, I really want to be against that. That works. But it's so much harder for us to actually tackle the ones that we hold near and dear. The things that we've started to believe and internalize to root these things up and actually live with a true and real repentance, surrendering our financial plans, surrendering our career plans, surrendering our family plans, surrendering uh, all these different hopes and dreams that we're holding on to and saying, God, like, hey, I understand my own brokenness. I understand the ways that I failed before you. God, I understand the ways that I'm actually causing so many of the problems that I'm seeing, and I understand that there's deep brokenness in me and in our world. So I'm going to have a posture of repentance, posture of just coming humbly before God, seeing clearly, surrendering, and allowing him to work within us. And so what we see is that these men, they already had this posture of repentance. The way had been paved. And so Paul comes in, and then he delivers the power. See, repentance without the resurrection is a weak repentance. There's no power in it. See, it's not enough to just like beat ourselves up and, and feel bad or something like that or, or to look and see the pain and the injustice and the hurt and the worry and the things that we have caused. If there's absolutely nothing we can do about it, then what's the point? And without Jesus and without his death and without his resurrection, there is nothing we can do about it. There is no recourse that we actually have to actually change who we are and to change the world around us. But what we see is that we are offered the greatest gift of all time. 
that our Father in heaven loved us so incredibly much that he would allow his son to die, to take on the pain and the consequences of our bad actions, to come back to life, to defeat death, and to actually leave us with the power of the Holy Spirit. God inside of us, working through us, equipping us, changing us, and transforming us, that we could actually live differently. That we don't have to be caught up in our brokenness. We don't have to be caught up in our sinfulness. We don't have to be caught up in the mistakes that we've made. But we actually get to live in a new way. And so what we see is that these men received this power. Paul, the Holy says Paul laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues, speaking in different languages and prophesying. There are about 12 men in all. So they received this hope, this freedom this power, and this ability to actually live out their repentance. And then they respond. See, going on from this, we see that it, there's some interesting parallels in here. It says there are about 12 men in all, which is an interesting way of contrasting the ministry of Paul with the ministry of Jesus and showing the way that Jesus' model of taking small groups of people, transforming them and using those people to actually spread his word is then duplicated and replicated in the ministry of the apostles like Paul. And what we see is that they go on, it says, And Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Probably getting a lot of beatings and a lot of persecution in that as well. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew with them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. See, these, Paul shows up, he finds the way paved with repentance, he shares the good news of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit is received, and there's a response and a call to actually live out a life of ministry, to actually be a part of what Paul is doing. We see these disciples following him along as he goes into the synagogue, as he rents out a hall to actually continue teaching because he's received so much opposition. And we see that through this faithfulness and through the power of the Holy Spirit that Paul is able to send some of these people out to these different towns and these different spaces. He's able to bring people in to hear what he has to say. And the news of Jesus begins to spread all over this region. I think we need to understand here today that like, there's something so powerful and freeing about repentance. There's something so freeing about just like opening up our hearts before God, being really honest and real with ourselves and where we're at, and just allowing his spirit to strengthen us, to receive this gift, for it to move through us. But on the other side of that, it changes our values. It changes our priorities. I think there's probably some people sitting here today saying like, okay, this is all great for Paul, but he was an apostle. That was his job. He's like you. He's like a pastor. Like, that's just what he did. It's great for these men, but like it was a different time. It was a different context. Like, I have kids. I have work. I have responsibilities. I have things to do. But it's so interesting. We see that Paul, throughout most of his ministry, worked a job. He made tents. He supported himself. Himself. He didn't let excuses get in his way. He didn't need a paycheck from the people he was ministering to, although sometimes he was supported by the people he was ministering to just in different contexts. But for most of his life, he was working all alongside it. Man, I just want to encourage us today. Like, 
what are we living for? We live in a society that is just so, so focused on me, 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 me. It's just so focused on ourselves. And I find it like so hard myself to just wrestle through this sometimes and to, to not just get caught up in like needing a new TV and, and needing a new this and needing new that and wanting all this stuff and, and then getting stressed out about my finances or feeling like I need to save, 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 save and have this much ready for retirement and all this stuff planned out or like I just, I gotta, I gotta just like, like look a certain way and act a certain way and do certain things and, and, and there's so much pressure in our world to just find peace and comfort and this nice, steady, quiet life. And yet what we see in the gospel, what we see in the life of Paul, what we see in the early church, what we see in the ministry of Jesus is that time and time again, God shows up, people receive freedom, and then they receive suffering. You see, it all sounds great here. They're like preaching and talking and everybody's hearing about it. But just a few uh, uh, verses later, in uh, chapter 19, we see there's this riot breaks out in the city of Ephesus, and the whole entire city is cheering for another god, saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, chanting for this other god over and over and over and over again. We see Paul would go on to be put in prison. He would go on to be beat time and time again, and he would go on to die for his faith. And I want to know what it would look like for us today to just recapture a heart of repentance, to recapture a heart of deep surrender, to actually take stock as we head into this new year of, of what am I actually trying to live for? Who am I actually becoming? Who am I defining myself as? What kind of person am I trying to be? Where is my focus? Where is my direction? Where is my vision for my life? And is this something that is just tied to what I want and my comfort and, and my joy or, or my like temporary happiness even? Or is it something that is rooted in something greater? Is it rooted in a father who loves me deeply? Is it rooted in a creator of the universe who destined me for a purpose? Is it rooted in a God who cares for me, who loves me, who knows me, who, who values me, and who has called me to something greater and more valuable and more fulfilling? And it's probably going to come with pain, and it's probably going to come with suffering, and it's probably going to come with challenges, and it's probably going to come with hardship this year if you accept this. But it's going to come with the deep satisfaction of operating in what God has called you to. See, after Paul has faced all this opposition and he's done all this ministry in Ephesus and he's taken beatings for his faith and he's invested in these people and he's invested in these relationships and he's been doing it in Corinth. He's been doing it all over the place. We see, and then there, there's this chant and the people turn on him and there's these riots in Ephesus and he has to leave and he can't come back. And he writes this letter to the Corinthian church and he talks about some of his experiences and he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You know, it's interesting. Um, N.T. Wright in his book on Paul talks about how this time in Paul's life, kind of coming out of his experience in Ephesus, there's like a tonal shift in some of his letters and his writings. He kind of thinks that Paul maybe went to jail at this time, although we're not sure, but what we know for sure is that he faced some serious persecution. Not just physical beating, but emotional 
tolls on his life. He was coming up against dark spirits and dark powers and dark stuff, and he was fighting back and fighting back and fighting back and stepping forward and being obedient, being faithful in what God had called him to over and over again. And what we see in this letter to the Corinthians, as he writes these words, is we see a faith that has been battle-tested. See, it's not just saying like, yes, God, you have moved within me and I love you and this is great and everything's gonna be awesome. But after the persecution, after the pain, he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Why don't you guys stand up today? And I just want to start off by taking a minute and, you know, we're going we're gonna to go in just a second into a little bit of worship just as we wrap up here. And as we do so, I just want to encourage you, um, just take stock of where you're at. Just take stock of the things you've been holding on to and bringing into this year, the, the thoughts and the plans and the schemes and the ideas and the stuff that you've just been trying to do in your own strength and your own power and in your own way that just needs to be repented of and surrendered before God. Just pray that each of us will be able to seek God this morning. Just ask him like, Lord Jesus, like open my eyes to your next step before me. Open my eyes, Lord God, to what you have for me. And even if it's hard, even if it's painful, even if my faith needs to be battle-tested this year, I just pray that I would hold on to that in you, I will not be crushed. In you, I, I will not be driven to despair. In you, I will not be forsaken. In you, I will not be destroyed. But Lord God, that in you, I will find a new life as I'm faithful to what you've called me to. Before we get to that, I just want to take a moment and pray for anyone here who wants to make a decision to follow Jesus. Why don't you all close your eyes and bow your heads? But if you're here this morning, you're like, hey, I've never heard this good news of Jesus before. I want you to know that although you may have made mistakes in your life, although you may have messed some stuff up, God loves you, he cares for you, he is for you, and that he actually wants to do something through you, that he has a plan and a purpose and a mission for your life. Uh, and he actually wants to show up and meet you right here and right now. He died on a cross and he rose again so that you could have freedom in him. So if you're here today and you're like, hey, you know what? I've never actually accepted Jesus. I've never actually like said, yes, God, I want this free gift of eternal life with you. I want to live with you forever. I want to follow after you. I want to learn your ways. So I want you to raise a hand right now just so that we can uh, pray with you. There's nothing crazy or spooky happening, but the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. I just want to give you an opportunity to, to make that choice and kind of show that showcase that right here, right now. So if you're here and you're making that decision this morning, why don't you just raise up a hand? Awesome, let's pray. God, I just thank you for anyone in the room today making a decision to follow you. Jesus, I just pray that you would be working inside of them, Lord God, that they would know even now that you are with them, you are for them, that you are transforming them from the inside out, and they would know that you are present here, Lord Jesus. We pray that your Holy Spirit would equip them and empower them, Lord God, and they would be able to work out in power what you are doing in their hearts right now, God. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to pray for the rest of us right now, and then let's worship. Holy Spirit, do something in our hearts this morning, God. 
shift our perspectives. Give us a new hope. Give us a new vision. God, just allow us to, to come to you this morning with a posture of repentance. So the posture of surrender saying, Lord, have your way in me. God, I pray that as we do this, you would just realign our hearts to you, refresh our souls, and just prepare us for whatever you have in store for us, God. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.